Giles. Giles, yes. I've missed you. Have you? Well, I've been away filming and you've been writing more books and doing your other very successful podcast. <laughs> Don't tell everybody I've been that. Doing nothing. Just t- just tell them all you have. We're, we're meant to be successful, busy people all the time. <laughs> okay, you've been away doing what you've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and we haven't spoken. We did catch up at Kindfest, which was amazing. Mm. And that's why we're back together, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, what a lovely thing it was as well. And it was an all-day festival. Um, all done virtually, um, and uh, we streamed a live version of the podcast with a very lovely guest. We had Gelong Thubton, yes. who is a Buddhist monk who's written a book all about happiness. He And he's a fascinating guy um, because he found Buddhism and monkhood quite late in life. I think he'd had a bit mm. of a good time prior to that. And then he he sort of went hardcore extreme into it. Because yeah. I think he did like it was it a four was it four years or four months I can't can't remember now where he it was, was years but four it, it was four years it was years wasn't it it was yeah. a silence a vow of silence mm. I think I would go insane but he's very mm. compelling the way he explains it and, and talks talks about it yeah and the idea that he, I think it came out of uh, a breakdown in his life he was having, you know having a difficult time and he just needed a new path to follow and that was that was what it was and. You know, he's obviously embraced the lifestyle and everything. And uh, yeah, amazing. He'd, he'd come from a kind of more creative kind of background. He was an actor and a musician and yeah, yeah got burnt out, I think, and uh, decided that he wanted to yeah, change, radically change his life. And well, it's incredible. He's, he's very interesting about 21st century life because he obviously went away for a while and then he came back. And it's interesting. I won't I won't I won't spoil the conversation because mm. he explains it beautifully. But 21st century life is, of course, what we're all struggling with at the moment, isn't it? And that's kind of why we started this podcast, because I think we're all grappling with what life is. It sounds like the big question, what is the meaning of life? Mm. But but living today in a town or a city, uh, in an urban environment, certainly, is incredibly stressful. Um, it, just on an everyday basis, um, our phones have made our lives more stressful. Yes, in some ways they've made our lives easier. And um, we talk a bit about that in our interview, don't we? But mostly I think they've added just a, a huge layer of stress because we're just anxious all the time about who's messaged us or what's going on with our emails and what's happening on Twitter and Instagram and who's doing what and how many likes have you gotten. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it is... We were talking about this before. It's bonkers, isn't it? This life that it we're is. leading now. It is. And it's something we talked to Andrew Wright about, um, the, the neuroscience um, expert, mm. because of that kind of going back to our kind of primeval brains. Our, our brains are still very primeval. So we've still got that negative thought process. And I think, you know, we, we, we unfortunately, things like social media, they feed into that because we're constantly like waiting for a notification or um or to see if someone likes what we've put you know so there's all these different things and these and all these um all these things like seeing how many likes you get they just in- increase your dopamine levels and stuff so you're you know you having these chemical reactions within yourself and and if they don't happen 
then you get that withdrawal. Yeah, well, it is. It's like it's a hit, hit, get a yeah. down, hit, get a down, hit, get a down, which is why we all need to embrace the free luftslev. What What is free? Now, how free, do free, free luftslev. I think I'm saying that correctly. I'm and not. How is it spelled? It's spelled F-R-I-L-U-F-T-S-L-I-V. <laughs> okay. It's, Tell me what it is. So it's Scandinavian, Norwegian specifically. And I suppose the literal translation is outdoor life. It's sort of a love of the outdoor life, free luftslev. And it means embrace nature, embrace the outdoors as a way of life, build it into your everyday um, existence and don't shy away from it. And for us here in the UK, it's a good time to remember that because our days are short and uh, and are dark. You know, you wake up in the dark, you go to bed and it's very, very late. It's, you know, yeah. if you if you then just go straight to work and you're working inside, which obviously people aren't, they've been locked, locked in. But you can mm. forget that you can forget that it's still important even now to get out there and feel the cold wind on your cheeks and wrap yourself up warmly, put on, you know, triple triple layers of sweaters. But it genuinely is good for you, even now, even in the dark. And and you were talking about measuring stress levels when you're when you're on the phone and, mm. and all of that kind of stuff. So being outdoors boosts the immune system, it increases your energy, it decreases anxiety and depression and anger, and it does reduce stress because it does bring about a state of relaxation. And this is now proven over and again uh with research all over the world and there are so many lovely books about it and as you said it lowers the stress hormones mm. cortisol and adrenaline and that's what happens every time your phone pings that is what is happening to your body your cortisol and your adrenaline levels are going yeah exactly and that's what we need to adjust in our lives yeah it's funny you should say that because um i was looking the other day and there's been a study done by one poll and um, it's saying about the different things that the new rituals that we're putting in place for ourselves during, you know, during this year, we've obviously found ourselves in finding new routines and, and, and new ways of working and new ways of, um, of of exercising. And we've had to embrace all these different changes. And it actually, it's, it's turned out that particularly in the UK, we, we quite like these changes. We've actually started to embrace these changes. And I think there's something like 64% of households are now exercising more than they were, which is incredible. Yeah. And goes back to you saying, actually, lots more people, 29% of people are starting to embrace this time spent in nature, which is so fantastic. And then there's things like baking and cooking from scratch, all those things as also we've, we've alluded to again before on the podcast, mm. are all coming back and people are embracing these different things. And so it's a really exciting time, I think, actually, that, you know, hopefully moving forward, we can we can retain some of these new practices. Yeah, I, th- I I think that there is so much horrible, shitty stuff that's that's come about with this virus. And of course, the collateral mm. damage of lockdown, we know unemployment levels and depression, uh, domestic violence, all of these very sad, sad, real um, realities that, that have happened as a result of coronavirus. You have to try and get some positive thing out of it, don't you? You have to glean the positive stuff. And that is it. And flexible working has become more acceptable. Working from home has become more acceptable. Uh, I was uh, I, I saw something the other day on social media that um, a, lot, a lot more businesses now in their uh job applications they're they're putting words like uh, part-time and flexible and that means more women are applying for those roles now which it which Mm. is a which is a positive so yeah we do need to uh we do need to take the good things and and i'm i'm the outdoor i I went on news uh night lately which is a a 
um, uh, current affairs program here in the UK, and they described me as an outdoor evangelist, and I quite liked that. <laughs> what so, a lovely title to have, though. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm rolling with that now. I'm I'm calling myself. An what, where's your altar? <laughs> well, my altar is the is the altar of the outdoors, baby. The big <laughs> great sky is my altar. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so you could be described as being a pagan. A pa- I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd go that far. Let's not let's not go. Let's not go there. Pagan. I think if you said that to my family, they would fall down the stairs with laughter. A pagan. <laughs> uh, right. Before we talk to mm. our lovely guest, I have one gift to bestow upon you for Christmas. And oh, for the that's and very kind. for the I new, got you anything? Oh, that's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> this is this wasn't an expensive gift, as you'll <laughs> as you'll learn. I am I am gifting you a word. Oh, I, I like I like words. You like I, words, I, don't I, you? I, I work with words quite a lot, so yeah. I like words. So my word is velika. 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 Well, V E L L I C H O R. So velikor, I suppose you could go, but I've mm. I've I've done a bit of I've done a bit of research and I'm reliably informed that you pronounce it velika. Now, before you start to scrabble for the Oxford uh, or Webster's dictionary, you won't mm. find it there. There is uh, a dictionary that exists online called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, and it's by a man called John Koenig. I hope I'm getting his name right, pronouncing that correctly. So the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is a compendium, a compendium, a compendium of invented words by John created to fill a hole in language. So to give a name to emotions that we might experience, but we don't yet have a word for. He is now writing a book, a proper book, like, you know, like you write books on paper. So I wonder, my, my question, my philosophical question is, mm. once he's written all of these wonderful words down in a book, do they become, are they now real in the real world, not just the virtual world? And your word velika, the reason I gift it to you mm. is because essentially it, it's somebody who likes the smell of books. And, okay, the smell of books. And old books. Yeah, so it says in, in his uh, Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows entry, it says, it is the strange wistfulness of used bookstores, which are somehow infused with the passage of time, filled with thousands of old books that you'll never have time to read, but each of which is itself locked into its own era, bound and dated and papered like an oh. old room. What a lovely description. Isn't That's that- like a little play on words isn't it like a I can see the scene of entering yeah. the bookshop um yeah I, I I do love secondhand bookshops I have to say and they do have a very distinctive smell <laughs> in a good way in a good way yeah, so yeah. it smells a funny word and it's something you got smell could it be so but I'm the gift this is the gift that keeps on giving not only I mean you are going to love me forever not only Giles am I giving you the word Velika as my gift mm. to you I'm also going to give you perfumes and aftershaves that smell of old books oh my god so there there is a perfume called dead writers perfume (laughs) oh (laughs) i'm not sure it's like a mortuary type smell there is another one called (laughs) there's another one called paper passion (laughs) paper passion i think i'm gonna go for that over dead writers 
You might go though for mm. uh, it, it's. I'm not very good at French. It's called it's the Latin Quarter, basically. It's called the Quartier okay. Latin. I think I don't know. Sorry, French people. Um, and this is tones of tonka bean, sandalwood, amber, and cedar. I thought that had a bit of you you about oh, it. Yeah, actually, I'm going to go for the tonka beans. Yeah, I thought what, you would. What are tonka beans? I don't know, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Tonka. <laughs> Does. Tonka, Willy yeah. Tonka beans. Yeah, <laughs> Willy Wonka Tonka beans. It does sound like a Roald Dahl uh, character, doesn't it? We could let's roll with that. Let's create a character. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Tonka. Right? Should we? Should we let our, our poor listeners listen to this wonderful guest, Gilong Dubton? Uh, yeah, the, we should. The book is amongst guy amongst guides to happiness. Uh, mm. Meditation in the twenty first century is the subtitle, and we interviewed Dubton at the Virtual Kindness Festival quite recently here in the UK, which is a wonderful day of, as the name would suggest, kindness. Right, are you going to do the introduction? Hello! Yeah. Hi. Well, I think he should introduce himself because uh, as of the backstage bit, we were all trying to figure out how best to pronounce your name. So I think maybe you should introduce yourself. <laughs> My name is Gelong Tupton. Gelong uh, means monk, and Tupton is my name. Tupton is your name. So would that be a Christian name, Tupton? So well, like... it's, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a Tibetan name because I, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist monk, and so my name's Tupton. But the kind of official title is Gelong Tupton. It's a bit like saying brother Tupton or something. Yeah, like that. or padre yeah. or. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, that's like, where are you, Tupton? I am in Scarborough. Sunny Scarborough. Yeah, just by the sea. I've got a little meditation centre here and I'm spending lockdown in kind of retreats here by the sea. It's beautiful. But of course, being in lockdown uh, is is nothing new to you and probably isn't the biggest challenge of your life either. Because when you when you read just the first few pages of your beautiful and lovely and useful and just really enjoyable book, Amongst Sky to Happiness, Meditation in the 21st Century. On the very first page, you, you kick off saying that you, you and, we'll, and I know that Giles has got the first question for you, but mm. you, you kicked off uh, basically delving into meditation of up to 12 to 14 hours a day. And then you took a vow of silence for five months. So you really went in the deep end with your, uh, your meditation and your, your commitment to the cause. Yeah, so so in 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 my monastery we have um, we have retreats, and um, <clears throat> the traditional retreat takes four years. So I I'd already been a monk for a long time before I attempted that. I'd been a monk already for twelve years, and then I wanted to go deeper. So I went into a four year long retreat on the Isle of Arran. So in a very remote part of the Isle of Arran. And yeah, you're you're totally cut off from the world for four years. You don't have any interaction with the outside world at all, and you're meditating all day. It's very intensive, intensive like meditation boot camp. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask. I was going. Well, I was going to ask you. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, born up, grew, grew up in the south of England. Uh, you you went to Oxford. You you were a musician for a time and an actor. Um, what what first inspired you to want to travel up to? Because I think it was in in Scotland that you did your your initial training to become a monk. What what inspired that journey for you? Actually, a complete and total burnout. So I was living quite a kind of wild, excessive party lifestyle. I was really unhappy. My mental health was in a terrible state. I was suffering from a lot of uh, panic attacks and depression and very unhealthy lifestyle. It led to a, a major meltdown. 
and I got very, very sick. I was living in New York at the time and I was having like all the symptoms of a heart attack, but it was all stress induced. And I was ill for about five or six months and the doctors were saying, you've got to do something to really, you know, change your lifestyle and look at what's making you stressed. So I, I, I heard about a monastery in Scotland uh, called Sami Ling, where you can go and do a like a training as a monk I, just for a year. So I, I signed up to be a monk for a year, thinking this would be just a year, and then I'd go back to my normal life. But I never left. I stayed. I loved it so much. I stayed. That's amazing. Uh, you say in your book, Tubton, um, that when you after four years, and I'm assuming that's the four years of the intensive. Uh, uh, meditation yeah. you then sort of came back into the real world and the the contrast what had happened uh, in those four years was was very extreme for you and uh, that it within those first pages you you talk about life in the 21st century and our relationship with everything uh, information how how quickly our relationship with information has changed how quickly even our relationship with food has changed we are we are this sort of fast moving consumer society now and we're, we're it's sort of relentless isn't it this stream of everything that's that's coming at us so how did you cope with with uh, those those two differences and tell me more i suppose about your observations about what had happened to life in the in the time that you've been spending your time retreating yeah, it was it was a fascinating time because when I came out of that retreat, um, it was actually during those four years of being away, uh, 2005 to 2009, that social media happened. Things like Facebook and Twitter, they all happened during that time. And also the smartphones. I think the iPhone was launched during my time of retreat. So when I came out of retreat and I, I was back in London and um, starting to teach meditation again, there I am in this busy city, having been completely away from it all. And because you're kind of out of it and then back in, you notice maybe with more of a shock how things have sped up. I mean, everybody's walking around with their face buried in a phone. That's the first thing I noticed. And the speed of information, the, the, way, people, the way people are invaded by information all the time now. I mean, I'm definitely not anti-technology. I think it can do amazing things. But I was very surprised to see how what what a detrimental effect it was having on people's attention span I mean mental health in the bigger picture as well around being calm and free from stress our phones make us quite stressed don't they so so I, I noticed all of that and and um but I also noticed more and more people being drawn to things like mindfulness so in a way there's a problem and a solution at the same time it's interesting what you said there, the invasion of information, because it is an invasion of information. Historically, you sort out the news or you watched it maybe once in the morning or in the evening when you came back uh, from work. Now it is this constant feed of information, good and bad. As you say, it does invade our lives. Our phones invade our lives. They peep and they bling. And we now know that this is incredibly stressful for us. Our cortisol levels are, are heightened all the time. Every time your phone pings, that's, that is a, a potential moment of stress because you feel you have to respond or answer or look. People sit and have dinner together and they have their phones down next to them. It is relentless, isn't it? And as you say, you, we, I think we all want to embrace the technology and, and uh, live with the benefits of it, but it's quite difficult to turn it off and switch off from it. 
So, so let's talk about meditation and, and, and how we can all incorporate meditation into our lives. Because you've, you, I think you say something, um, in, again, in one of the pages, somebody says, oh, I'm too busy to meditate, or my mind is too busy to meditate. Mm. So why is meditation a good tool for us? What, what can it do for us? And how do we access it? I, I think the, the, the stumbling block for most people, as you say, is, is they, they think their life is too busy or their mind is too busy for meditation. But I think that's based on um, an incorrect understanding of what meditation is. I think people think you're supposed to have no thoughts when you meditate and you're supposed to go into a very kind of quiet zone with nothing happening. But actually, meditation is, is about changing your relationship with your thoughts. It's not about getting rid of them. So even with a really busy lifestyle, you can spend five or 10 minutes every morning training yourself to, to step back and become the observer of your thoughts instead of being caught up in the whirlpool. And having that sort of slight um, uh, objectivity, a sense of uh, perspective, helps you to be less kind of sucked in by the negative habits of the mind and the, the distraction and uh, but the other thing is also these tiny moments. I talk a lot about how important it is to practice mu uh, little uh, like mini moments of mindfulness as you go through your day. So I started doing this on the tube in London, um, just standing on the tube in rush hour and feeling the ground under my feet for a few moments, just focusing on the sensation of standing or standing in a queue and feeling uh, my shoulders drop and becoming aware of my breathing so I try and practice these tiny moments many, many times a day, kind of integrated with daily life. And I think that is a way of bringing meditation into every area of your life. But also it's a very good way to counteract what we've been talking about, which is this very uh, fast-paced information technology where we're constantly bombarded all the time with notifications. So our mind is constantly being uh, stimulated. So... I'm suggesting that with mindfulness, you can fill your mind with happiness and you can fill your mind with moments of kindness towards yourself. And, and it becomes a moment to moment thing. I, I like that idea of being present as well. Uh, we, we, we get kind of a bit like we're, we're thinking about what's going on tomorrow or next week. or thing, And actually that sense of presence and being in that moment is in, incredibly powerful, I think. Yeah, because we, we, we also spend so much energy living in other people's moments now because everyone's posting everything online. So somebody has a beautiful moment and then they'll immediately post it online to see what everyone else thinks of it. And I mean, that can be nice. I'm not against that or anything. It's lovely to share things. But I wonder if it's made us more distracted and more disconnected from our own moment. And I wonder if it's also made us not quite sure whether we're happy or not, because we keep having to check if other people like what we're doing. So I think, I think meditation can rebalance that. I don't think we need to throw away our phones or throw away social media at all. I think we can use it wisely. And I think if we meditate, we're kind of filling our own tanks from in, inside with, with a sense of presence, like you say, being calm and being in the moment. At the very end, before we before we say goodbye to you, I think it would be really uh, useful for people if we just do some quick, easy steps. What can people do if they want to meditate? So should we leave that till the end and, and it, it'll leave uh, people something to talk about? Let's let's talk more about the book. Um, first of all, I, I want to go backwards a little bit. You know, when you went into your um, your five months of um, silence, your vow of silence, how is that time measured 
you know, does your does your head monk sort of knock on the door and go, three months, three months, uh, you've got two months left now? <laughs> I don't know. Somehow it, it's very well structured. So it's a, you, you're in a very well organized retreat and you're all you're all alone in your rooms. But there's a system, there's a structure and a bell is rung for each meditation session. And I think there was a calendar on the wall and, and d- days were being crossed off on the calendar I mean it's not like prison where you're kind of drawing notches on the wall with a piece of chalk it's not like that at all but there is a sense of structure and you know you know what day it is and to be honest I I was quite frightened about spending five months without being able to speak but I actually found it incredibly rewarding because it started to help me to make friends with myself I'd always been a kind of person who needed other people to validate me all the time and needed 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 friendship and and this that's fine but if you need it so much that you can't spend time alone it becomes a bit toxic and so I found that period alone a very good way to start to accept myself because you're just there with your own thoughts and nobody else so you have to start to make peace with yourself I'm interested about that the level of acceptance obviously you're accepting yourself what was it like with friends and family were they, were they accepting of of your um of this new life that you'd formed for yourself well yeah i'm i'm very lucky in that in that both my parents are buddhist and so they they for them it's something they they really respect and they they're kind of proud of me for being a monk and doing retreats and my mum sometimes comes to my meditation classes so it's it's really nice and then I had a lot of friends from my old days, from before I was a monk. And at first, when I went off to a monastery, I think they thought I'd gone mad and joined a cult. And did they need to come and rescue me? But then, <laughs> but then when, when they found out how, how much I was benefiting from this and how it's not a cult and you can leave any time and, and there's no sort of, there's nothing shady about it. They, they started to realize, oh, this, this is really helping him. And and then I started to teach and write books and, and they've been reading my books or hearing me speak. And they, and they say, oh, you're, you're giving back to the world. That's a really good thing. So I get a lot of positive feedback from my friends. They're already happy with what I'm doing. Lubton, you say happiness is a choice. How is it a, a, is, how is it a choice? And how do we, mere mortals, access happiness then? I think that's a really challenging statement, isn't it? Because if you say happiness is a choice... And then somebody is deeply unhappy and in a very difficult situation. It can sound a bit challenging, almost like a slap in the face. So I think it does need explaining, doesn't it? So to break it down, what I mean here is that happiness is very much about your mind, isn't it? It's about your thoughts and your emotions. Uh, because even if you're in a difficult situation, if you can have a positive attitude, the situation changes, doesn't it? And vice versa, you could be in a really great situation, but be in such a terrible mood that you don't enjoy it. So it's very much to do with our minds, isn't it? And when I say choice, I mean, you could actually make the choice to start to train your mind to be less um, habituated to negative thinking and more habituated to positive thinking. Uh, also, I think it's, uh, it's, it's about making the choice that you are going to find within yourself um, peace and happiness. It's something internal. You know, we're so conditioned to think it comes from outside that you need this, you need that, and you can only be happy if this happens to you. And it's all very much been at the receiving end of happiness. But I say happiness is a choice in terms of you can choose to be happy without needing something to make you happy. 
that's independence, isn't it? And for people who are listening in, who are going through really tough times, I mean, obviously, the pandemic has brought financial stress to people and emotional stress. Um, and there will be people listening going, it's not that easy for me. I can't just think myself into this good place. I've got real financial worries. I've got real pressures. I, I don't know where to go and what to do. How would you encourage them that this could still be helpful and, and that you, you can even you can get some goodness out of out of this? I think I, I agree that, that people are going through incredibly harsh, challenging times. So it sounds a bit flippant to say, oh, you can just choose happiness. But what I'm talking about is finding moments of calm inside the storm. So even during a very difficult situation, if you can meditate and, and it's all about building that habit, you can't just switch it on from day one. But if you learn to do a little bit of meditation each day, you start to develop into the kind of person who even when things are going wrong, you're able to find moments of calm. And I, I've been through incredibly harsh times, and I found this to be an, a very valuable resource. I mean, very early on, I got COVID myself, and I got incredibly sick. Um, I got the sort of worst kind, where you, you're really almost at death's door. And I was, I was having a horrible time. I was incredibly frightened because I couldn't breathe. But I definitely found that if I meditated during those times, it made the symptoms easier to deal with. So it didn't, it didn't, there's no magic solution. It didn't make me better but it made me able to handle what was going on um, and I found that <clears throat> the more <clears throat> the more frightened and stressed I got uh, the worse my breathing became but when I was able to calm myself I was able to get some air out and it, it saved me I think during during having COVID. Gosh I didn't know you'd had coronavirus it certainly did that's that's really something to to get through. Giles there was something you wanted to ask. I wanted to well you, there was something that you brought up Julia, when, when we were talking before about um, this human resilience and the, the the milk of human kindness, it was really fascinating what you said. But I mean, you'll probably explain it better than me. But being a mother yourself and being through this experience, but yeah, maybe you can ask um, Thubton well, about. I, I think Thubton, I think what you're talking about there, when you're talking about finding a moment in the darkness and and teaching yourself to be able to get to that place of calm and happiness that's that's resilience isn't it that's helps with resilience that's what we're talking about and uh, I've uh, being a mum of three and and I gave birth to my children naturally and I had twins who I wanted to give birth naturally to and luckily I managed to although it was a bit touch and go at, at sometimes but I wanted to because I'd heard of the physical benefits for mother and baby and the physical benefits for baby being that, you know, should they if they push themselves through your vaginal canal, then, you know, their immune system is built. They, they have to they're, they're pushing through for life as well. There, there is a, a level of resilience that comes, a physical resilience that comes through that actual process and the physicality of the, of the bacteria and things that they that they come through. But what you've written about in your book, which I had never thought about, is whilst that stressful moment of giving birth is taking place, both you and the baby are full of cortisol, the, the hormone that helps you deal with stress. But it's a very heightened, stressful moment both for both parties. And then immediately after that moment, hopefully, touch wood, all being well, your baby or babies, in my case, then come onto your, your chest and then you have that skin to skin contact and you try and breastfeed or whatever it is you're going to do. And the oxytocin hormone starts to flood around you, which is the love hormone, the cuddle hormone. And what you point out which I just thought was fascinating is that from that moment you are teaching your baby the first step of resilience because they go from a heightened state of stress to this 
calm, loving, peaceful moment of serenity with with you. And and that's the first little little step on the ladder for resilience, which I just thought is is fascinating. Yeah, in that moment, our, our mother is priming us to deal with stress, showing us because we go from that heightened state of cortisol and then you have the skin to skin contact and the oxytocin, which is, of course, then um, uh, encouraged more through the breastfeeding. Uh, and the, the chemistry changes from stress to calm and the sense of peace. And I use it in my book to illustrate the, the notion of unconditional love and kindness. And the, the, the relationship between mother and baby is a, a perfect example of that. And I then talk about how actually, regardless of whether one had that perfect experience in childhood, because many didn't, of course, mm. you can access that through meditation, because compassion-based meditation is where you, you experience love and kindness towards yourself and towards others in an unconditional way. So no preference, just sending love to all beings. Um, I was listening to the meditation that came on before uh, we came on and it was beautiful. It was talking about that. The lady was talking about sending your love in all directions. So we are, we are doing the same thing. We are experiencing oxytocin and that sense of completeness and that sense of calm, compassionate love. And being kind is, is good for you. We've spoken about this many times on the podcast, haven't we, Giles? And one of the stories I was going to say before, um, before Thubton came on, uh, there was a, a story in the news recently about a little boy who was in a McDonald's drive through with his mum. And he just looked at his mum. He said, mum, I want to do something kind for somebody. And he said, I just want to feel that, that feeling when you do something kind for somebody. So he bought the meal for the car behind. And then the car behind bought the meal for the car behind them. And then the car behind them. And he spread the kindness. But that's what he wanted to reach. He wanted to, 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 ex to, to feel and experience that moment of kindness. And it, it does make you feel good to be kind, doesn't it? And it does release oxytocin. And it is a positive thing to do, which is why I think so many people have been helping others through the pandemic, because also it's a therapy for, for them and for us to do that for other people. Yeah, I think it's our natural state. When we're kind, we feel all is right. It feels natural. It feels good. And we're drawn to people who are kind. When somebody's kind, we like them. We like to be around them. So there's something very natural about that. It's it, All our cells and our body chemistry are in the right state when we're being kind. Whereas when we're being angry or selfish or vindictive, it just doesn't feel healthy. And it, in fact, lowers our immune system. Uh, anger and rage and stress are not good for our immune system. So I think it's amazing how during this lockdown and pandemic time, people have been experiencing these moments of kindness and a sense of community, a sense of wanting to protect each other. And I love how, how they say that if you know, to wear, we should wear masks, but the mask actually protects other people. So you're wearing a mask as an act of kindness and you're trusting that other people are wearing a mask to protect you. So we're all interdependent and we are looking after each other like, like a mother and a child. It's a lovely way of looking at it. Now, I realise we we get drawing to the end of our conversation. It's been so lovely to talk to you and some, some, so many takeaways from this conversation. But as Julia said a, a minute ago, it'd be lovely to, if we could try something for the listeners and the viewers today, um, just a little something that maybe people can take away with them and practice themselves when they're, they're at home or if they're on, like you, if they're on the tube. Yeah, yeah, let's just do a short, a tiny first meditation. Steps, first steps for meditation. To, uh, if if people, people haven't done it before and really are, they say, well, my mind's too busy and I can't, I can't do it. 
how how do we how do we take these first tentative steps towards okay it? okay let's try this together so it's not about chasing away your thoughts there will be thoughts but it's about focusing your mind on something else so you're going to focus your mind on your on your body so you, you're sitting in a chair and you just take a moment to relax and feel the chair under your body literally feel feel the contact between your body and the chair and just focus on that for a few few moments and your hands are resting in your lap or on your knees, feel the contact between your hands and your legs. Notice the sensation of the clothing under your skin, the skin of your hands. Now focus on your upper body, your shoulders and your chest. And then going a bit more internal, deeper, focus on your own breathing. Just breathe naturally. Don't, don't try to breathe deeply or slowly. Just let your breath be however it is. And feel the flow of your breath in your chest or your belly or your nose or your mouth, wherever you can feel the air, the breathing happening. And when your mind wanders, keep bringing it back to that place of focus. Let's try that for a few seconds. And then the last step is to just make a deep wish in your mind. May I become more kind to myself and more kind to others. And may my meditation journey help me with the path of compassion. End with that commitment. And stop there. Lovely. I, I didn't want to come back. <laughs> You've got to come back. Hello. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, Subton, uh, your book, Amongst Guide to Happiness, Meditation in the 21st Century, is uh, available now. Um, what was the process of writing like for you? We've got just a minute left. Did you, did you enjoy putting this book together? I did, but it was a very, it was a very busy process because I was, I was traveling a lot and teaching and trying to write while doing all of that. And it, it was real meditation of the 21st century because I was writing in busy places. So it felt kind of apt for that. And now I'm working on a new book and it's a whole different experience because I'm in lockdown. I mean, lockdown is a writer's dream, isn't it? Because you, you can't go out, you're stuck in one place. So maybe this new book will have a different feeling to it. We'll see. <laughs> well, it's, been, it's yeah. been lovely to talk to you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. How much of your time? It's been fantastic. Lovely thank to you. talk to both of you. Thank you so much. Lovely to finally meet you after all our email conversations. Yeah. And thanks for taking part in Kindfest 2020. I'm Julia Bradbury. He's the lovely John Haley Phillips and the wonderful Gilong Tupton was our guest today. And this podcast will be available for you soon. Wow, wasn't that a fantastic chat, Julia? I've just really loved talking to Thubton. And I, you know, my favorite bit really was that last bit where we did a little meditation together. I really, I could have stayed there for a lot longer. 
Yes, it, it's difficult, isn't it? When you're in that situation, you're sort of online and you've got screens yeah. zooming in front of you. And you're an thinking, audience. Uh, of yeah, an audience. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but the book, His Monk's Guide to Happiness, is full of really practical tips and advice about how to get into meditation. And what's nice about it is he doesn't, you know, he's a monk and he's a Buddhist, but he, he it's... There isn't there isn't sort of a religious or a preachy undertone. No, no, I was going to say it's not preachy at all, is it? No, it's really practical, and it's basically saying, you know, if you think that meditation is a bit woo woo and a bit hippy dippy, then it isn't. It is it what it is in essence, and he he says this beautifully in, in in one of his paragraphs. He said basically what it is: meditation connects us with our essence, and our essence is pure happiness, and turning within which is what meditation is, actually brings us what we have all wanted in the first place, which is the happiness that we've been seeking from the world around us. And mm. um, and, and that is, that's it in a nutshell, is even just spending five minutes just sitting in a room on your own quietly, that is enough of a meditation just to ground mm. yourself and just to have a little moment, which again goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this podcast, we don't do that anymore. We don't we don't have those moments. We don't have moments of boredom waiting in a queue anymore because we get our phones out. We don't have moments just sitting on the sofa and maybe we reach for a book, we do something else because we, we reach for our phone. And it's what I tell my kids all the time. I know. And they don't have, they don't have uh, screens when they go, oh, I'm bored. I say, good. Because mm. what they say about children is leave them to be bored because then they have to find something else to occupy their mind. So they can't pick up the screen they have to then get creative. And if they have recently been on a screen, what they're doing is just reinterpreting uh, what they've seen on the screen rather than creating something themselves. And we are all human beings are imaginative creatures and you have to let that imagination flourish. And that means being a bit bored sometimes and just sitting there and just being and meditating. Yeah, the boredom thing is a big topic in our household because the um, both the boys are at an age where they they just really struggle with mm. with boredom and 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 those moments where they they haven't got anything to do and I keep saying to them it's so good to have those moments because I remember standing in a post office queue a little while ago and I went to grab my phone out of my pocket and I I had to stop myself because yeah. I thought what am I doing mm. I I'm going to be here for literally a couple of minutes actually wouldn't it be better to just stand there have some thoughts and have a look around i mean i love people watching as a writer i love people watching and and listening to overhearing conversations and stuff and i've kind of stopped myself doing that because i've mm. been so engrossed in 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 work and doing stuff online and being on my phone <coughs> and and i totally agree with you boredom <coughs> is such a vital thing for, for particularly for creative people but for everybody as well thubton actually also talks about that in in the book because he there's a moment where he's traveling on the underground in London yes. and he just it's it's beautifully written he just talks about the mindfulness of that moment how he felt I, I remember the passage where he talks about feeling the leather strap of his bag cutting digging down into his shoulder not in a horrible way but that sensation of the weight of the bag on his shoulder and the swaying mm. of the of the carriage um and yeah, yeah, we're right. We, we we don't do that anymore. We don't observe no. those those sensations and feelings and what we see. So that's yeah. what that's what I'm going to do all Christmas. I'm just going to sit and observe <laughs> the leather strap of of Staring my coldly at the 
at, at the, the Christmas tree. At the dying Christmas tree. No, we can't say that. It's a positive podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, GPP, it's been a pleasure to be back with you. A little bit of positive yeah. remains a little bit of positive, I think. It does. But Julia, before we go, you must tell us about your new show, because obviously we haven't been doing a little bit of positive because you've been so busy. I have been. Yes, I've been filming. I'm really excited. I've been filming my new series, my new outdoor series. I can't tell you much more about it, but for people who follow me on social media or you know who I am, you you won't be surprised by uh, by the new series in as much as it's outdoors. And obviously, I couldn't travel anywhere else over the world. So it's UK based, but it's a beautiful, beautiful series which celebrates nature and walks and time spent in the outdoors. And I interview some incredible people, people who have made the outdoors their life, um, some wonderful farmers who are into regenerative farming, um, a forest bathing expert. We spent three wow, hours. That sounds cool. Oh, we what spent forest three... bathing. Oh, three hours. Of... We'll talk. We'll talk about that on another podcast. I'll yeah. actually try and get him on as a as a guest. That'd I think that would be brilliant. Uh, but basically, it's it's what we're talking about. But it's in it's 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 surrounded by trees, and there are some wonderful books. There are some brilliant guests that we can get to talk on about that. Uh, and it's going to be on ITV in the new year, and it's eight beautiful, beautiful episodes. And it's beautiful because the UK is stunning, and we're very, very lucky to live somewhere like this and to have uh, the beautiful green spaces that we do. And we must protect them, and we must nurture them. That's brilliant. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. And it's yeah. going to be on ITV. It's going to be on ITV. It's going to be on ITV at eight o'clock, one day of the week, which I can't tell you more of. We'll, we, <laughs> but we'll, we're going to be back in the new year as well. Aren't yeah. we? We've got some lovely guests lined up and we'll be uh, sitting down to record with lots of wonderful, inspiring, amazing, positive people sometime in early 2021. But we want to send you all of our positive vibes and lots of love. And thanks for listening. Thanks for all your lovely messages as ever. Um, and uh, yeah, we love you. Yeah, and have a lovely, lovely Christmas.